Well, good morning again. It's, uh, it's good to be with you this morning. It's good to sing with you. I love that last song that we sang, just such a good rehearsal of the truth of the gospel, of who Christ is and what he's done for us. So I hope you're encouraged this morning, uh, listening to your brothers and sisters sing. I mean, it's just good to gather together. Uh, if you are new here again, we'd love to meet you after the service, so please come say hello uh, so we can get to know you and help you get plugged into the life of our church here at Sojourn. We're going to be in the book of Hebrews this morning as we're in a sermon series in Hebrews. And so if you need a copy of the Bible this morning, if you just raise your hand, or if you folks carry a Bible to you, uh, just keep your hand up till they find you this morning so that you can read along with us out of Hebrews. And please know that that's a gift to you. If you don't own a copy of the scriptures, you can take that home with you uh, so that you have God's word all throughout the week. As we begin our time in the book of Hebrews this morning, let's just go before the Lord in prayer. So you pray with me. Good God, we come before you this morning and ask that your word this morning would go out and not return void. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would take your preached word this morning and apply it to our hearts, that you would pierce our hearts, that you would break through our hearts. That where there's walls or calluses on our hearts, that you would remove those this morning and allow us to receive what you have for us. Lord, help us to set aside distractions, things that may be swirling in our minds right now. I pray that we could come before you and sit at your feet like a child before their father, that we would sit and receive the good gifts that you have for us. So Lord, again, we pray that you would calm and quiet our souls this morning. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would use anything that I have to say this morning for your glory. I pray, Jesus, that you would increase, that I would decrease, that we would decrease. That we would walk out of here this morning thankful for the fact that we have salvation in Christ. And not only that, but that we're brought into the very family of God, that we get to be brothers and sisters with one another. So Lord, we pray that you'd encourage our hearts this morning and help us to be faithful to be and do all that you've called us to be and do. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, there are a lot of things that we do every single day, but that we don't have to do every day. There's a lot of things we do every day, but there aren't a lot of things that we absolutely are essential for us to do every day. Most of us do some form of work every day. Whether you go to the marketplace, the workplace, whether you're a student, whether you stay at home with your kids, there's something that most of us do every day for work. Most of us do something every day to rest or relax. We maybe exercise or watch a show or a movie or we read or we sit and drink coffee or tea or a glass of wine in the evening. But we don't have to do any of those things every single day. We brush our teeth every day. At least I hope you do. It may be be why you're sitting not close to somebody else if you're not brushing your teeth every day. But I hope you brush your teeth every day. We do that every day. We eat every day. We sleep every night. Those are really important things for us to do. If you don't brush your teeth every day, if you just kind of quit altogether doing that, one, you're going to have bad breath and eventually your teeth are going to fall out of your head. 
If you don't eat or sleep regularly, you can get by with a few nights or a few days of doing that, but eventually, ultimately, it'll lead to your death. But even those things, you don't have to do any of those things every day. Now, breathing. Breathing is something you have to do every day. Inhaling. Exhaling. You have to do that every day. It is necessary for life. We're in Hebrews chapter 3 this morning. And in Hebrews chapter 3, we see the author of Hebrews call us to do something every day. Every day. And he gives no caveats, no exceptions, no reasons for not doing this every day. And the reason is, just like breathing, it is a matter of life and death for you. So what does he call us to do every day? Encourage one another. Encourage one another. And so today, as we open up to our text, we're going to look at why everyday encouragement is a matter of life and death, and then how we can do this with one another. And my hope this morning is that God will use this in our church, that he will use this in our church to help you see that you are vital to the life of your brother and sister, that you are essential to the life of your fellow believer, and that by that, that he will compel us towards a vision to be and do all that he's called us to be and do together as a family, as a community, to be united together. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, first off, I just want you to know that I'm glad you're here this morning. This is a welcome community for you, and we are thankful that you're here. But this is for you as well. This is for you as well. My hope for you this morning is that you will see your need for God and his people. That you'll see your need for God and his people, and that you will be drawn to a perfect God through his imperfect people. And so with that, let's jump in and may God bless the preaching of his word this morning. As I said, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 3. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and flip open to Hebrews chapter 3. Last week we were in verses 1 through 6. This morning we'll be in verses 7 through 14. This is what the author of Hebrews has to say to us this morning, what God has to say to us this morning. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today... If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. To walk through our text this morning, I want to break this down into three movements. Take notice, take care, and take action. Take notice, take care, and take action. So let's jump into our first point. Take notice. We see this in verses 7 through 11. 
Last week, we saw the author of Hebrews calling us to consider Jesus. To consider Jesus not as an option, but as the option. He's the only one that can get the job done. He's the only one that can bring us back into relationship with God. It's what we rehearsed this morning as we walked through the beginning of our service together. It's Christ alone who is our mediator. He alone can reconcile us to the living God and bring us all the way home to be with the Father in perfect harmony, in full healing, in complete wholeness. Jesus does that. And all of this leads into where the author goes in verses 7 through 11. And then into the main focus of our text this morning, which is found in verses 12 and 13, where the author pastorally presses into the reality and recesses of our hearts and lives. In this section, he continues by looking at what would be a familiar text for Jewish Christians. He looks at the latter half of Psalm 95. We read the beginning half of Psalm 95 this morning, and we see him rehearse and recount the second half of Psalm 95. So what's going on here? What the author of Hebrews is focusing on, what the psalmist is writing about, is this rebellious spirit that existed in the people of Israel. They were led out of slavery from Egypt by Moses. They had been enslaved as a people for hundreds of years. And God sends Moses as a mediator to stand before Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And he leads God's people out of Egypt to go to a promised land, to a place of rest. And as they leave, they go and they're confronted with the the Red Sea and they have to cross over this because Pharaoh's army is coming after them and God parts the waters of the Red Sea and they pass through on the other side and the waters crash back down and destroy Pharaoh and all of his army and God's people respond in worship. They praise God for who he is. They've seen him over and over again at this time do amazing works to bring freedom from their slavery. But it's not long after that they begin to complain and grumble. They start not believing God to be faithful or good. And then they get to the edge of the promised land. And they become fearful. And so they complain some more and they grumble again. And instead of trusting God in that moment, when what seems before them is insurmountable, as difficult, as impossible, and trusting God to be able to help them through that time and follow him, they decide not to enter this land. They rebelled against God. They rebelled against his will and his ways. And so God declared that they would not enter his rest. They would not go into the promised land, but instead would wander in the wilderness for 40 years years for a generation to pass they heard God's voice through Moses but they didn't listen to God's voice and they hardened their hearts and they decided to go their own way now why is the author of Hebrews bringing this up here he's bringing this up here because he's calling you and me to take notice He's helping his audience, he's helping us see that turning back to the law, to seeking to check boxes off in order to earn a relationship with God instead of following Christ, that turning towards trying to earn God's love and earn God's favor instead of walking in his freely given love, in his freely given favor, it's like turning back to Egypt and becoming enslaved once again. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul talks about this whole episode, this whole incident with God's people. And what he says to us is that it was written down as an example for you. It, it was written down, it was given to us to instruct us, to help us understand so that we would not desire and pursue evil and idolatry like they did. And Paul says there, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Take notice. Take notice, church. That's what Paul's saying. That's what the author of Hebrews is saying. See, the reality is you and I can learn from Israel's wilderness disobedience because you and I find ourselves in a way in a period of a wilderness wandering right now. We're in this now and not yet. If you know Christ, you have a relationship with the living God, yet we still live in a broken world. And we long for and wait for Christ's return to bring about the fullness of his kingdom. So the warning is here for you today. If you hear God's voice, do not harden your hearts. Take notice. That leads to our next point. Take care. We see this in verses 12 through 13. Let me read verse 12 again. It says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. The author says, Take care, pay attention, be aware. Why? Because we, just like Israel, are prone to have a hard heart. We talked a few weeks ago about the fact that the book of Hebrews has five warning passages in it. We looked at the first one a few weeks ago. This is the second warning passage in the book of Hebrews. Recently, I went to the doctor to get a physical, to get a checkup. Nothing was going on, but I got, I got a checkup. I got some blood work done with that. And my blood uh, work came back and it said that I had high cholesterol. It was higher than it should be. And so the doctor said, look, you need to maybe change the way that you're eating. You need to make sure that you're getting uh, heart-healthy exercise, that you're exercising your heart well. And the goal is to get the numbers down through those things without going on meds. She also said, though, that you might be kind of uh, predisposed, have a genetic disposition, predisposition towards high cholesterol. And so I texted my parents and said, hey, is that the case? Like, is there any family history of high cholesterol? And indeed there is. On my dad's side of the family, there's a history of high cholesterol. So because I am predisposed to high cholesterol, I need to pay more attention to it. I need to pay more attention to it so that it doesn't become a serious, life-threatening issue. See, the reality is for you and for me is that we have a predisposition to have a hard heart towards God and His ways. Biblically speaking, the heart is the motivational structure of your life. Everything you think, everything you say, everything you do flows out of your heart. And everything you think and everything you say and everything you do is rooted in what you love the most. Where your affections are. But sin has jacked up our hearts. Sin has made our hearts dead and deceitful. And so where God deserves all of our worship and all of our love and all of our affections... We don't love God. We don't love others. Who we love, what we love is ourselves. Our comforts, our pleasure, our personal happiness. And so you have a predisposition to have a hard heart towards God and his ways. 
but it doesn't mean that you're bound to it. It doesn't mean that that is who you are. Because church, the reality of the gospel and what the author of Hebrews wants us to see throughout this book is that the gospel changes everything for you. It changes everything for you. Christ came to rescue you from your sin and yourself. He came to give you a new heart, to take out that heart of stone that's, that can be hardened towards God and His ways, to take that out and to replace it with a heart of flesh, a heart that beats for God and His ways, to re- replace a heart that's set only on yourself, to give you a heart that's set only on God. And so if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. That is who you are. And God is working in you and on you. We read this week in community Bible reading in Philippians chapter 1 that he who began a good work in you will see it through to completion. He will see it through to completion. He began something good in you to transform your life, to transform your heart. The gospel changes everything for you. And God will see you through. And so now, he has called us to faithfully follow our risen Lord. By grace and the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us to walk and live in a manner worthy of our calling. To put off the old and put on the new. He's called us to be who we are. But this is not yet peacetime. This is wartime. We still have this battle that's going on inside of us, a battle that's raging within us. Our old nature rises up often to seek to steal away our affections from Jesus. This world is constantly preaching at you to steal your affections away from Jesus and put them back on other people or other things or on yourself. It's a battle of our hearts. And Galatians chapter 5 talks about this. Galatians 5, verse 17. The Apostle Paul says, For the desires of the flesh are set against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are set against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. They're set against one another. They're at war with one another. And so what the author of Hebrews is warning against, he's warning you and me, and is to not to succumb to the battle of your heart. To take care that we don't have an evil, unbelieving heart that leads us to fall away from the living God. He's calling us to fight for joy in Jesus. See, when the circumstances and the situations in life in a fallen and broken world became too difficult, the wilderness generation stopped believing that God was with them. They stopped believing that God was among them. They stopped believing that God was for them. They stopped believing that God was leading them by His Word. And they refused to acknowledge His presence. They refused to acknowledge His voice. And it resulted in disobedience and ultimately death. What this example tells us is that It's possible to begin well, but end poorly. And so couch in this is a warning for you and me. A warning to not end up in the same place, drifting from the source of life in the pursuit of life in less glorious things. 
But as one scholar says, a hardened attitude is not a sudden aberration, but a habitual state of mind. In other words, having a hard heart does not just happen overnight. And in these verses are two significant things that help us to take care, two things that we need to pay attention to so that we can walk in faithfulness and enjoy with Jesus. And here it is. Hard hearts are one, rooted in unbelief, and secondly, unbelief which is brought about by the deceitfulness of sin. Let me say that again. Hard hearts are rooted in unbelief, and unbelief which is brought about by the deceitfulness of sin. Unbelief is key. It's what the people of Israel struggled with but never dealt with. See, unbelief is something that all of us can struggle with. Whether you're a follower of Christ or you've been a follower of Christ for a long time or you're a new follower of Jesus. Man, just know that this morning that you at times are going to struggle with unbelief. That that's a normal part of the Christian life. And it may come in quick bursts and come and go. Or for some of us, it may last for longer periods of time. And the basic thought that exists in your heart and mind in those moments of unbelief is, God, are you there? God, do you really care? God, will you come through? Can I trust you? See, our our struggle with unbelief goes all the way back to our first parents in the garden. Adam and Eve were confronted with a competing narrative about who God is. That God's not for you. He doesn't love you. He doesn't have your best in mind. And the seeds of unbelief were sown in their hearts and it led them to fall away from the living God and to venture out and trying to be their own gods. And so you inherit this disposition. We inherit a tendency towards unbelief. So you and I need to be aware of that. We need to have an understanding of that. Just like I need to pay attention to my cholesterol As followers of Jesus, we need to be aware of when unbelief starts to creep up in our lives. The good thing is there's some indicators for us that when they appear might tip us off that there's some unbelief going on in our heart. It's kind of like the the warning light on your dashboard that says there's something not quite right with the engine of your car or numbers from your blood work that come back and say there's something that's not quite right that's going on. There's some some indicators, some lights, some warnings that, that can go off in our life. When you're struggling with unbelief, when your heart is struggling to believe that God is for you, that He's good, certain things start to pop up in your life. It may be contempt or disdain for God. You're just straight up frustrated with Him, angry with Him, you don't, you don't like him very much. Maybe negativism is in your life. That you look at the world as a negative place, that you look at things in your life, there's just kind of a negative attitude and, and negativism that kind of pervades in your life, is pervasive in your life. Maybe grumbling, complaining about anything. Circumstances, people, situations at work or at home. You have a grumbling and complaining spirit, quarreling, fighting, whether with God or with others. That you start to pick fights and everything becomes a battle for you between God and between others that you're in relationship with. And ultimately, disobedience. Seeking to walk away from what God would have for you, what he says is best for you. 
Because the reality is, the deceitfulness of sin brings you to believe that God is holding out on you. So you start to see some of these things bubble up, and ultimately this leads you to that place of disobedience because you believe that God is holding out on you. See, church, something we need to understand is that sin never tells you the truth about where it's going to lead you. It never tells the truth about where it's going to lead you. It lies to you. It's empty promises. And I think a popular notion that can pop up in our world or even in the church is this. That we say and we think these kinds of things. That this, this thing, whatever it is, a new purse, a new pair of shoes, a new pair of jeans, more money, sex, relationships, drink, food, recreational activity, this thing, whatever it is, it makes me happy. God wants me to be happy, so this must be the right thing to do. So we can start to believe that. This thing makes me happy, God wants me to be happy, so the conclusion must be that this is the right thing for me to do. But the problem is this is sin deceiving you. The problem is that none of that is rooted in God's word. None of it's rooted in God's character. Instead, it's based on our feelings and our wants and our desires. And we already know that sin has jacked all those things up. And the reality is, the more we pursue our happiness over our holiness, the more our conscience becomes seared. When something is seared, it's burned or scorched on the outside. And so to have a seared conscience means that you have become desensitized to your sin. To God's call on your life to walk in holiness, you've become desensitized to those things. You've become desensitized to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Things that used to bother you no longer bother you. Remorse and sorrow are no longer present in your life. And so you find yourself plunging deeper into your sin and further away from the presence of your God. Walls are built up around your heart. And it becomes difficult for anything or anyone to break through. It's the essence of an impenetrable heart. Your heart that used to be malleable and moldable has become rigid and hard, like dry concrete or a steel vault. And when you are hardened today, it makes tomorrow's faith and repentance that much more difficult. Friend, is that you this morning? Do you have those evidences of a hard heart being deceived by sin to believe that God is holding out on you? The reality is it could be any of us. So take care. Take care. But don't just take care. Take action. This leads to our third point. We see this in verses 12 through 14. Let me be crystal clear. Unbelief is damning. Unbelief is damning. To not believe in who God is, to not follow Him, to not be in relationship with Him is damning. Leading to an eternal separation from God where we will suffer for all of our sin and rebellion against Him. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus died for your unbelief. 
He died for your unbelief. And if he didn't, then we would all be lost. Either Jesus died for all of your sin or he died for none of it. And unbelief has to be included in that. And so we need to come back to that reality. We need to come back to that truth every day and rehearse those truths, believing them again. There is grace for you in the midst of your struggle. Whether it's a small moment of unbelief or months or years of struggling with believing who God is and trusting Him to be good, there's grace for you in that. Because Christ died for your unbelief. Let me just say, if you've never truly trusted in Christ, if you've never truly believed, let me implore you to believe today. Knowing that there is nothing in this world, there is nothing in this life that will ultimately satisfy you besides Jesus. Listen, Moses provided an exodus from slavery for God's people, but they turned away. Christ provides a better exodus for you out of slavery. He went to the cross for you and he set you free from the power of sin and death now and forever. So then, take action. Walk in the freedom you have been given and do not become yoked again in slavery. Fight the battle from the place of victory in Jesus. See, we need to see that in this text there is a personal aspect and responsibility to battle unbelief. There's a personal aspect of being aware and and, and paying attention and taking notice and taking care, but there's also a communal aspect and responsibility. And that's the action I want us to focus on and take together. Again, in verses 12 through 13, he says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that you might not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Exhort. Exhort. What does the word exhort mean? It reminds me of a line from the movie The Princess Bride. You guys seen The Princess Bride? There's a line in the movie. He says, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. That, that's for me. When I think about the word exhort for so long, for me, the word exhort meant rebuke. Speak some truth into somebody's life. Drop the hammer on them. Admonish them. Correct them. But that's not what the word exhort means. In the original language, in the Greek language of the New Testament, the word exhort means to encourage. To encourage. And even more than that, it means to come alongside of someone. To call them to something. To comfort. And to implore to action. See, what God is saying to us through his word is that in order for you to remain faithful in following Jesus, in order for you to take care not to have a hard heart or to be deceived by sin, in order to battle unbelief in your life, you need other believers. You need other people in your life. And what we need from each other is everyday encouragement. Everyday encouragement. I'm not talking fluffy encouragement. This isn't like hallmark encouragement. You don't need people to tell you that you're smart, that you're special, 
This isn't for emotionally needy kind of thing. You don't need people to tell you that you're beautiful. No, this is about running the race together. Fighting for joy in Jesus together. Listen, he has given you a community. He has gifted a coalition of co-laborers to fight for joy with you. It's a gift. It's a blessing that you're not sitting in a room this morning by yourself. Listen, you and I will fall. We will fail. We will falter at times. But that's exactly why you need Jesus. You never move on from him. And it's exactly why you need constant encouragement from one another to stay the course. That's why the author says what he does in verse 14. What we need encouragement in is to be reminded of who we are and what we have. Look at verse 14. We share in Christ. We share in Christ. We get to participate in the life of the kingdom of God with Jesus. We have everything, all the inheritance that the Son has, we too have. Everything that He's accomplished for us, not what we accomplish for ourselves. So we need to be reminded of that so that we continue believing it. We share in Christ, he says, if we hold our original confidence, our original faith firm to the end. We have to continue to believe, keep believing. Listen, there is no way for a true believer, a truly redeemed person to lose their salvation. John chapter 10 says that no one will be snatched out of the Father's hand. He holds your salvation for you. If it was up to you or up to me, we would screw it up all the time. But Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. And he rose again from the grave to declare that he had accomplished everything he said he came to do. Your salvation is secure in Christ. But we still need to call each other to continued repentance and continued faith in Jesus. To endure to the end because genuine faith in Christ is evidenced by continual belief. And walking with Christ. What are you believing today? Where is your confidence today? It can't be in the prayer you prayed many years ago, or a time you walked down the aisle, or a time you threw your stick in the fire to follow Jesus. What are you believing right now in this moment? That's why we need each other to call us again. Believe on Christ. The reality is, and what the author is driving at is this, everyday encouragement leads to regular repentance and fresh faith. Everyday encouragement leads to regular repentance and fresh faith. Why is this? Because when you are in isolation, you are prone to be impressed with hollow arguments. Hollow arguments that are undergirded by worldly wisdom and compromise of a life of following Jesus as King. When the right way lies in front of you, no matter how difficult or challenging or painful it might be, it is easy for you to rationalize not following it if you're by yourself. And when you do this, it starts to make your conscience less sensitive for the next time. But being in a genuine, caring community helps you to recognize that the easier path in life is not necessarily the right one. In other words, isolation is deadly. 
then it comes about when we don't open up our lives. It comes about when we don't invite people into our lives. It comes about when we don't pursue people in our lives. You and I need consistent mutual encouragement, a shared common hope and call to stay away from places of death. This is how God designed it. We need each other. There's no Lone Ranger Christianity. There's, the Christian life is not meant to be a solo endeavor. And the result of everyday encouragement is a sustained and strengthened faith. Sojourn, community is key to help you see the deceitfulness of sin. Or to put it another way, fellowship defends against deceit. Defends you against deceit. Because you can't always see everything around you. You need people around you to help you. This is why meaningful church membership and church discipline are gifts to us. They are gifts to us to help us stay the course, to be refreshed in our faith, to call us back when we're straying. So let me ask you this morning, are you a meaningful member, actively engaged in the life and body of believers that is Sojourn Church? See, with meaningful membership, there is a mutual responsibility for one another in a covenant community and family. Being in covenant community is about making an agreement, a a promise, a commitment to one another to be companions with one another. Companions on the journey of life until we reach the city of God. It's about how to live life between redemption and rest, between promise and fulfillment, as we navigate life in a broken world where temptation and sin, the wildness of our flesh and enemy, are a clear and present danger. So, how do we do this? This past week, we read in Ephesians chapter 4 in community Bible reading. And there's a key phrase in there in in Ephesians 4. He says, Paul says there, rather than being deceived and led astray by false teachers and false promises of the world and our enemy, speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love to one another and by so doing, we will all grow up into Christ. Listen, speaking the truth in love is not about hammering people with the truth. As one author says, honesty in the church has been misused as a synonym for saying difficult things with little care for the other. So-called honesty can easily degenerate into name-calling, blaming, and judgmental critique. Too many people have chosen to say terrible things to others under the banner of quote-unquote telling the truth. This is not honesty, it's cruelty and thinly veiled vengeance. Speaking the truth is about calling people to be who they are in Christ. It's about calling people to believe the gospel again. Speaking the truth in love is a promise to remain tender and kind and committed to the other. It's full of hope and genuine desire for other people, that other person, to grow and keep walking with Jesus. As one pastor puts it, we we are either weakening people's affections for God or strengthening them. We are either building up towards heaven or tearing down towards hell. And Paul said in Ephesians 4, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that you may give grace to those who hear. 
That means every sermon, every conversation, every text message, every email, every phone call is a means of final salvation. There are no meaningless moments. Life is awesomely meaningful at every moment that you can encourage people to keep following Jesus. At its core, this is mutual discipleship. Helping one another follow Jesus. And man, that's what I want for our community at Sojourn. When even, when there are hard things that are said to one another, that there is not a doubt, not a doubt in our minds that that person loves us and is for us and is not going anywhere. I want us to be everyday encouragers, encouraging one another to stay the course, to trust in Jesus, to remind one another that He is better that he is enough, that his ways and will are good, to call each other to not choose self or sin over our salvation, to remind one another and warn even one another at times when it's necessary that the bridge is out ahead and the path you're on leads to death, turn away. But listen, this doesn't just come by way of your pastors or leaders. This is for all of us. It happens in the context of community groups. It can happen in everyday life. Over a meal or a drink or coffee. It can happen as you're serving together on a Sunday morning. It can happen as you're serving out in the community, going to the Lamb Center to play games on a Friday night. Dads, how are you encouraging your kids to follow Jesus? Husbands, how are you encouraging your wife to follow Jesus? Who are those people that you're closest with and closest relationship with? The people in your home, your roommates, if you're not married. Maybe you live by yourself, and maybe it's just a good encouragement to you to make sure that you have those close-knit relationships, people that are near you, that you're actually letting in, that you're seeking to speak to as well. See, I think so often for us, I know this is true for myself, is that what I need to do is just pull my eyes up, pull myself out of my myopic self-view of life and recognize there are people all around me. And they need me and I need them. Brothers and sisters, you and I can be and are instruments in the hands of our Redeemer to be used by Him for the good of one another if we will but open our lives and pursue one another. These past two or three weeks for me have been kind of weird weeks. There's been some moments where I've just felt discouraged, lacking joy and zeal, realizing that I have some deep wounds and hurts that are not fully healed. But my tendency is to internalize things. My tendency is to think and pray, but not always open up my mouth or my life and ask for help or gospel encouragement. And something God is growing me in is reaching out and being more open and honest. And it is always a gift when I do. This week, just texting Tom this week just to say, hey, brother, I'm, I'm kind of wrestling with some stuff. And he was asking me some questions. It was just encouraging for my heart and for my soul. For him to speak into those things, to acknowledge the hurt is real, to acknowledge the difficulty is real, but then remind me of who Christ is. As one pastor, writer puts it, People can't reach out to you if you are arrogant or self-sufficient or independent. They can only reach out to people in need 
So being cared for means we must reveal our own suffering so that others can enter the war that is in our hearts. Is that you this morning? Are you struggling with unbelief or a seared conscience or a hard heart? Is there a battle raging in you right now that nobody knows about? Then are you listening to the people that you are sharing those things with? Are you in functional isolation? There are people all around you, but nobody really knows what's going on with you. And I hope this sermon has done two things for you this morning. I hope that it has called you back to your Savior again, who loves you and gave himself for you, will never let you go. And I hope that it's calling you out of isolation into real community, as messy and as imperfect as it might be. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 14 says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So wake up. Wake up. If you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Come home to Jesus. Maybe what this has done for others of you this morning is, is call and catalyze you to reach out to someone in particular. To ask how they're doing, how they're really doing. To listen, to send a text, or write a handwritten note or card, giving them a phone call, taking them out to lunch, and get this, just telling them how glorious Jesus is. Whether they need the encouragement, whether they're struggling right now or not. Again, this isn't fluffy encouragement. You're walking with people and the pains and hurts of life, the joys, the highs, and the lows, and constantly reminding one another that Jesus is better. Listen, just because you are struggling does not mean that you can't encourage or exhort someone else. And just because you aren't struggling doesn't mean that you don't need encouragement and exhortation from someone else. So, what is the status of your heart this morning? Where do you need encouragement? And who will you get it from? Who do you need to encourage today? We are sojourners. That means that we are aliens and strangers in this world. This place is not our home, but we are a family of sojourners. Brothers and sisters who are known and loved by our Father, who has placed us in community and relationship with one another to be everyday encouragers to the glory of God and the good of one another to journey with one another, to help each other along the way. So let's be who we are and remind each other every day of who we are and whose we are. Sojourn, take notice, take care, and take action to be those everyday encouragers. We take communion every week as a blood-bought family. And we come to the table together to receive the elements These elements that point us to Jesus, that encourage us to Christ. And each of us hear the same truth spoken over us. As you take the bread, the body of Christ was broken for you. As you take the cup, the blood of Christ was shed for you. This unifies us together. It's a gift of grace to us. It's a piece of encouragement that our sin has been forgiven, that we are reconciled to God, and that we are now a part of the family of God. 
It's a gift because it reminds us that even as, as we've strayed from Christ in some way this week, that his sacrifice is sufficient for you. It's a gift because it reminds us that Jesus is better. And it's an encouragement to stay the course in following him. It's a gift because it's an opportunity to take notice, to take care, and take action. To repent and believe and walk forward in faith and following Christ our King. So do those things this morning as you come forward. And may God encourage your hearts today that Jesus is enough. And if you're not a follower of Christ, we would just ask you this morning not to come forward to take communion. Because this is a declaration that we do believe that we are desperate for Jesus and that he is enough for us. And so if you don't yet know Christ, let me just ask you to sit in your seat. But let me encourage you, let me implore you to take Jesus today. To step out in faith and believe on Jesus today. That you could start a relationship with him now. And let somebody around you know that. We'd love to journey with you in following Christ. So when you're ready, you can come to the tables at the front or the back. We'll take communion and we'll continue to respond and worship through song together. Let's pray. Father, we praise you this morning for your unending grace. You are good and faithful to us. Father, we praise you this morning that you sent your Son to die on the cross for all of our sin, even our unbelief. So Lord, we rest in that reality this morning. And we pray that we would come back to that truth over and over again and we would take notice and take care and take action not to allow hard hearts to be developed through the deceitfulness of sin, to be led astray by the lies and empty promises that sin tell us. But that we would continue to believe that you are enough, that you are good, that you are faithful. Father, thank you that no one is too far gone. So lead us back to you this morning. Help us to do the things you've called us to do. Help us to be a community that is made up of everyday encouragers who might journey together until you call us home or Christ returns. We love you and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.